If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be unsettlingly sentient, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding some answers to how do we avoid the weird pitfalls sentient items introduce? And what steps can we follow in their creation that gives us not just rich lore, but great roleplay? And what are you missing from your arsenal of monsters? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. So today we're talking about the sentient item dilemma and all the ways that it can be incredible, but also the ways that it can destroy everything you've worked to create in your game. <laughs> that sounds rather dire. <laughs> this is drastic. It will destroy your house. <laughs> it will shit on your couch. Yeah. It's going to take out a huge loans in your name and never repay them. It's it's like uh, when you play the Joker in a movie. It just works its way into your psyche somehow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, sentient items can be really, really cool. Like, I I don't know. I want to work in more sentient items into my games because there's something just kind of otherworldly and cool about a sword that talks to you. I think it's such a classic of fantasy because it's just so inherently cool. Like, I've got this ancient legendary being at my disposal that I can kill things with. Well, and I actually, I did this in a game once. Like, I have a character that is kind of this, you know, swashbuckling pirate kind of character, and then he got a sentient item that was basically putting the fear of sea gods into his mind, and it practically destroyed him. Then he became this, like, incredibly uh, superstitious character that was always worried about, like, not giving enough to Umberly before he set sail, and, like... It really ended up creating quite a dynamic character. Right. You built your character off of it in a sense, or at least you added to your character, and the two became intertwined in a really interesting way. That's what we're going for. It adds a lot of depth if it can be pulled off. But do a quick browse through Reddit. You will find many posts about how sentient items present problems in games. Yeah, from a sword taking over a player character and turning them into an NPC. You know, you get a, a fancy magic skull that ends up getting thrown into a bag of holding and forgotten and never used in the game. Like, just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> banished. So often, these are forgotten, and that's that's tragic, too. Other times, you get characters that are disappointed with their magic weapon, and it ends up being a burden. And maybe the... The ability, you're not even using that often. So yeah, the whole thing is just done for. I, I've in fact done this. I've actually granted a magic item to a character that was going to make them like more badass and tough and powerful. And it ended up just like ruining the character and making them a bloodthirsty madman <laughs> that slashed down the half of their party. He became a liability yeah. just through the use of a magic item. So I think as a DM... You got to be kind of careful before you start whipping magic items at your players. You got to think, 
what am I doing this for? Like, what do I want to try to achieve by introducing some of these things? There's there's a lot of problems that sentient items can present that can throw your game right off the rails. Right. So let's officially categorize some of these dangers so that we can solve them. The first big one, I think, is an underdeveloped item. Like, you as the DM, you think it'd be cool, so you introduce an evil sword made by Grandpa Nasty Lich that's hell-bent on destruction. <laughs> is, is he a grandpa or is he a nasty lich? Well, I assume that some people that become liches are grandpas before they do. <laughs> I suppose, And yeah. you don't just disown your grandfather when he becomes a lich. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> Maybe you do. It's up to you, We're going to circle back to that a little bit later on sure. whether or not you should disown your grandfather if he becomes... <laughs> An everlasting evil being. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, undead. Too. All right. Let's. <laughs> but the point of that is that all that boils down to is destroy all life. And if that's all your item is saying, that gets old real quick. That's not a lot to work with as a player. Yeah. On the flip side, you get the problem of the constant distraction of, hey, we're trying to tell a story and this weapon won't shut the fuck up. It's just <laughs> constantly jabbering. And like, you're trying to, what? what's the rest of the party want to do? Well, I don't know. The The sword, well, I just introduced an interesting kind of bit of lore. And now all of a sudden it's taking over my campaign. The, the weapon's a distraction. Ugh, I wish I hadn't have done this. Well, with that comes the, well, with that comes the problem of one player being able to talk to it too. And the rest of the party is just sitting around watching. Oh, yeah. Not able to interact. Like, in-world, in-fiction distraction and at-the-table distraction, as every time the player wants to talk to the sword, they have to, you know, the DM has to stop and write down a little note and pass it along. And uh, Yeah, that'll that'll derail your five-minute <laughs> convo. Give me a minute, everybody. Entertain yourselves. Or when I, as the DM, introduce a magic item and then I forget until we're in the middle of the combat hasn't said anything for a couple of sessions and then i just <laughs> chime in with yeah i want to kill him get him yeah <laughs> and you've totally forgotten you're like yeah i should probably make the the item say something he's probably got some thoughts and feelings yeah. about this but i haven't fleshed this character out i don't know what the sword wants so away you go at this point, all you can do is lean into the comic relief and make jokes with it because you're not doing anything else useful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, the part that scares me the most about introducing some kind of sentient item or weapon is now I need to pay it off. Like if I have mentioned any kind of lore and just like it's the mental load that you end up getting of like, okay, so the sword, uh, they found it in the mines and the history of the mines is this and uh is there gonna be a story attached to that uh, shit i don't know um i have to make up a whole thing and i don't know where it's leading and it could you know again derail my campaign right with your campaign prep every time you get to the end and you're like oh yeah i can't forget about what to do with this magic item yeah and then a huge one for me too is when the character has no reason to interact with or help this magic item like, maybe you've crafted the ultimate personality and motivations for it, but what if the player just wants to swing it at stuff? How do you make him care? How do you make him help the item? When all of the party is standing around and you're like, 
I made the coolest, most devious, most awesome sword for the rogue. Uh, no, 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 don't give it to the barbarian. <laughs> Shit. There's that. <laughs> These two aren't going to jive. <laughs> okay, here we go. Now I got to make a... I gotta make this weapon more bloodthirsty now. Yeah, let me make a couple of tweaks. And I think the final problem of introducing some of these sentient and magic items is that maybe they're not really in line with what the player had in mind for their character. And now I'm kind of throwing them a curveball. Right, and it gets into real dangerous territory if you play with the trope of mind control and domination of the character because you absolutely never want to take away their agency that much. Yeah, so this really does have to be a bit more of a conversation between me as the dungeon master and you as the player. Like, what is it that you want out of this item? And can we actually work together? And how can I add a little bit more surprise so that you still feel like you're learning new things, but I'm not like throwing you this weird ass curveball and your character and their overall arc and trajectory. Yeah, I'm not forcing you to become lawful evil all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, it's just a hostile takeover of your brain via magic item. So let's fix some of this dumb junk with some good steps in the strategy stateroom. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So this strategy stateroom is really about the process of sitting down, you're planning to introduce a sentient item to your game. What are the steps that you got to go through in order to make that something great that everyone's going to attach to and it's going to make a difference in your game rather than have one of those problems that we just discussed. So as we do, we're going to go through a set of five steps to try to achieve that goal. The first one is give the item character. The second is decide how it communicates. And the third, give it a relationship with its wielder. The fourth is use its values to create a character arc. And then the fifth and final step is we're going to pay off that relationship in the end. So let's dive into each one of those steps and figure out how we do this. Right. So we got to start with give the item character. And what we would do if we were sitting down is pull out our character guide that you can find at hookandchance.com for free and run through that because that is what we use for our player characters. It's what we use for some of our more important NPCs. And I would argue that a sentient magic item, it's going to be there through a lot of your game. So it's pretty important. If you're unfamiliar with this uh, character creator, it's fairly robust. It might be a little bit overkill for a sentient item. However, it's going to lead you through, like, where was this item before the characters got it? And what's its backstory? And who is it? And it's going to give it some traits and some values that are going to become incredibly important in the long run. And that's really what we're trying to focus on, is some of those traits and some of those values. And I think this works really well if you're going to have the kind of a backstory for this item where a mortal at one point got stuck in the item. It's got all of these, it, like it's a normal NPC in the world that is now this magic item. So it really does deserve to have some background fleshed out for it. And something really amazing about this is the opportunity to give a little bit of your world as exposition with this character. 
They're old. They're ancient. They know some shit that they can share with the party. And the best opportunity to do that exposition is with somebody that the party cares about. Yes. 100%. The reason I love sentient items is that, you know, I'm always trying to introduce Dungeon Master NPCs or DMPCs because they're a great opportunity to have a character that can be the voice of the DM. But the problem is, is that you enter into this strange situation where whenever combat breaks out, now all of a sudden you have a whole nother person to run. You're basically adding an extra person to the combat. This can slow things down. What I love about a sentient item is that you can have all of the character and all of the flavor and practically a wonderful vehicle for lore dumping and giving some of the background details that you as a DM created and spent hours over but have no way to deliver, you now have the vehicle for that. It doesn't slow down combat, it doesn't enter into initiative, but it's there all the time giving players more information on a place or a thing. And since it's a weapon, if it's been around a long time, it's seen some shit. Yeah. It's traveled with other adventurers and it knows all about the history of these lands. Totally. It knows them secrets that you want to spill. But the other thing that I think is unique to sentient items, that I think can be really powerful, is to treat it like artificial intelligence. And what I mean by that is somebody at some point created this item with sentience. Oh. It was nothing before it was an item. Yes. It's going to have a lot stronger goals because that's all it thinks about. <laughs> like it doesn't, right. doesn't have that. It was created with one purpose in mind, and that's to kill Grandpa McLitch. <laughs> or maybe it was created by Grandpa McLitch to kill Grandchild McNormal. Okay, <laughs> if you are not divorcing your grandfather... <laughs> From his grandfather's status, if he's been out to kill grandson McNormal, yeah, it's time. It's time to cut grandpa off. He's an undead lich that's out to kill you. You don't need to treat him like he's your grandpa anymore. Yeah, but he always comes through with the good gifts. <laughs> he Can still sends you the birthday <laughs> card with the $5 yeah. in it. This has five copper in it, grandpa. You're rich. <laughs> Can you please? Oh, boy. But anyways, like you're saying, this is a really cool way of going about doubling down on the personality that this item now has. It's like, I've got one value and one goal, yeah. and I'm going to achieve it through you or not at all. And if this goal, weirdly coincides with what you're trying to tell in your story in your campaign <laughs> this can really help keep players on the straight and narrow of like hey uh i'm a sword and i really really want you to go kill grandpa mclitch so before you guys start a bakery and settle down in this weird <laughs> side town the sword's gonna pipe up and just be like hey Remember? Remember what we're doing? We kind of need to go and do that. Yeah, it's really nice to have a voice in the party sometimes. But the other personality tweaks you can give it when you're coming at it from this perspective are things like, does it see itself as superior to mortals? Or does it have an encyclopedic knowledge of some topic? 
that's a boon right there. Like, you no longer have to roll skill checks about this particular thing. The sword knows. That's great. Is it some kind of, like, well-intentioned extremist that shows some of the dangers of one of the character's values taken too far? Yeah, I really like that. That can be super useful because it's almost like a, hey, I know you want to go down this murder hobo route, player. (laughs) This is what happens if you do, so don't. Can you not? Right. It's like holding a mirror up to your player character of being like, hey, hey. Maybe check yourself. Unless, because of course, the sword's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Unless they jump all the way on board with your sword's goals. that That's the downside of that. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone, the sword is right. <laughs> oh, no. Let's murder everyone. The sword shoots itself into space. You don't have it anymore. <laughs> but there's also the living weapon trope, which we mentioned in our Warforged episode that I like to play with here. So you've got characters like the Iron Giant. You've got the genie from Aladdin that I think kind of fits this in the sense that there's people that are after it for its potential, for its danger. There's always going to be an evil force that's like, the weapon, I want it, it'll be mine because I'm going to do evil things with it. Nice. And now you're introducing some story challenges that will be fun for the party to overcome and question whether or not it's even worth it. Yeah, totally. Cool. So step two, we need to decide how it communicates. And this sounds rather innocuous. Like, who cares? Yeah. But it has some pretty huge implications in how your game is going to play. The obvious choice that a lot of people will start with is the one-on-one mental conversation. Right. This is the magic item speaks inside whatever player's head is attuned to it. Because obviously, magic weapons speak through skin touching. Yeah, that's (laughs) the clear obvious choice. (laughs) There's some pros and cons here, though. Right. So, you know, note passing can give a lot of power to the player to role play and convey information on their own. It can be really cool when it's used sparingly. Yeah. Like, that gives that player this sense of, I've got the inside track. I'm the one that's attuned to the item I'm the one that gets all of this extra information. I get to disseminate it or hold it back for a little bit of drama. I mean, but like you say, this can be misused. Totally. I mean, keep in mind as the DM that any interaction between you and that player is either going to be a complete secret. Nobody knows anything that's going on. But if you do speak it out loud, it's at best a cutscene that everyone sits back and watches. Yeah. And most people come to the table to play, not to watch. And it's often going to slow down the gameplay. But another option that I don't think I've often considered is a nonverbal approach. So what if it doesn't speak inside the head of the player? What if it just does something simple, like glowing like Sting from the Lord of the Rings? Yeah. That is one way that Sting communicates one particular thing. Sting was obviously created with killing orcs in mind. It was created for a reason, otherwise it wouldn't have this neat function where it it acts as an advanced warning system. Yeah. So what if there's a sentience inside there? And other nonverbal cues that we can potentially use. Maybe it doesn't glow, maybe it just gets kind of hot to the touch, and it is able to tell you things like that. I like that. You could associate a lot of simple messages with those cues, and then it's not this whole big thing, it's just... 
you're you're communicating with it in a really subtle way. That's cool. But you can add more layers onto it too. So it's maybe not just one type of communication. You almost get to play charades that can be misinterpreted. Yeah. Like there's a lot of opportunity there. Maybe it uh, speaks through runes that glow on its uh, on its blade or staff handle. Maybe it uh, it even shows visions on the surface. Like if it is a shiny blade, you actually see the thing that it's trying to communicate to you in the sheen of the metal itself. Yeah, potential futures. Like if you go into this room, uh, big old troll's gonna club you to death. That could be so much fun. Yeah. Especially if the sword has a bit of a playful personality and wants to play out all kinds of scenarios for you. Yeah, we're getting into like Moana territory. Totally. But now you just got me thinking about what if Sting was just terrified? It's like, oh, orcs! <laughs> <laughs> Look out! I think the downside to using this approach, though, is that it does put a lot of the interaction on a DM to remember. Like, you're essentially running another character. And I wonder if there's another way that we can kind of lean, you know, maybe more towards the player taking the initiative on how this relationship works. Well, my favorite way, personally, to have it communicate is with the group mentally instead of just with the one character mentally because my biggest thing as a player is wanting to jump into conversations that my character's not there for and this <laughs> this kind of allows that yeah so this is kind of like the magic item having a private chat room with everyone in the party yeah i mean i don't see why that wouldn't be easily possible there's all kinds of spells that let you target multiple people so it's a magic it item that. it yeah. can do whatever the hell it wants <laughs> exactly yeah, I just like the inclusion of the group. I think that's crucial when I introduce magic items like this. Well, one of my favorites is a little bit of a twist on yours. And that is the out loud approach. The weapon can speak and everyone can hear it. Party and non-party characters included. Because <laughs> this is mayhem. Yeah, that introduces so much wild card behavior. <laughs> but it's controlled by you, the DM. Right. The major pro here is that, I mean, whatever I want to do, it really allows me as the DM to comment on their actions, to screw things up when they're going in the wrong direction. It allows me to guide them in a way that I really don't have. And, and ultimately, this is the DMPC. Because again, even when they're questioning the the, you know, corrupt sheriff of town and they're forgetting to ask one very critical thing the sword speaks up and says hey what about where you were on the night of whatever yeah but this approach gives me as a dm a lot more control to to kind of jump in there when i need to or to include complications too because you know when the bard that has a charisma of 35 is talking their way into the orcish keep and they're doing it very well and things are going to go way too smoothly, then, you know, Sting chimes in with, fuck these orcs. <laughs> or <coughs> as they're trying to sneak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you're just being an asshole of a DM, but the option is there. All right, well, step three is give it a relationship with its wielder. This is really trying to address that problem 
of the player character getting this cool new magic item and then really kind of forgetting to interact with it because we didn't give it something deep to really connect over, to resonate over. We just kind of threw this magic item in there uh, and now the player's forgetting about it. Yeah. And what a tragedy that is. And what I usually like to start with is whoever is going to be wielding this item to think of just a very simple descriptor for how I think that relationship could go. I mean, is it going to be a mentor and, you know, act as the player's conscience, Jiminy Cricket style? You could even have it be a warlock patron if you talk to your player about that, if that's the direction they want to go with it. Totally. You can have it exist within conflict to be the moral counterpoint to your player and challenge some of their decisions. Yeah, those conversations can be really fun when it's pointing out the folly of the wielder's ways or chiming in with the perspective that you as the DM have. Again, it's great to have a voice. Yeah. When you need someone somewhere to say that has been through everything that the party has been through to say, hey, you guys are kind of bloodthirsty. <laughs> yeah. Because it's in on all of their conversations. Like it's there yeah. for their dark ones where they're like, <laughs> <laughs> where they've murdered every witness. Yeah. But the weapon remembers. Or you could have it really cooperate with that PC. The two can bolster each other up in times of need. They can really become like a bit of a dynamic duo. I kind of like that because then you get to have the player and have them have full autonomy over their own weapon and create kind of a, a cool party. And a couple of tropes I like to fall back on are the adventure duo where one's heroic and one's a bit cowardly. So like whichever your the character that you're going to give this item to is, you just kind of counter it with that. Yeah. This also addresses another thing that I've seen kind of crop up a lot. And it's certainly a conversation of some challenge. You know, it's the challenge of some players really, really, really want to play someone who's struggling or suffering from dissociative identity disorder or multiple personalities. This is a very real, real world challenge that people face. And it's kind of dicey territory to try to portray someone dealing with some kind of mental conditions. And this is a really easy way to kind of get it out without having to dive into that territory. And that is, here's a sword and it runs counter to you. And it has some different opinions. And sometimes it even takes over and, and influences you to do certain things. And you get all of the same abilities and kind of what's interesting about playing a character with multiple personalities that's kind of it's dealing with without having to dive into that dicey territory right and i think that's all that some of those players are trying to accomplish yeah they just want to be able to play counter like they want to get into some really rich role play without having to lean on another player at the table to always take the bait they can just run that story on their own. And <laughs> yeah. that's really all they're trying to get to. So with that approach, I mean, yeah, you can totally just give full control to the magic items personality to the player. There's nothing wrong with that. Step four is use its values to create a character arc. Right. And the problem here is, okay, I've got this item. It's got a backstory. Now what? <laughs> 
it really what's not being said there is a huge <laughs> problem this is definitely where something like four corner opposition can become hugely helpful we need some kind of arc we need the player to change or we need the item to change we need to you know feel like there is some kind of transformation happening as a result of this item showing up within the hands of the party okay so we did an episode about that a while back travis but how about a quick recap yeah okay so four corner opposition basically works like this imagine a square divided into four sections in the top left hand corner You've got your player a character and two of their core values, what they hold most dear. Now in the top right, you have what is generally considered a good NPC that shares one of the core values with the player, but kind of opposes in another one. Now in the bottom left, you have a generally bad NPC, maybe someone that's seen as a bit of a villain at first. And now that villain can either change and get better, or they can go darker, depending on which one of those values, again, one that coincides with one that your player holds, and one that opposes. And in the final remaining corner, you have the villain, which is opposing both values. It's the antithesis of your player character. Now, the way that we can actually use this with a sentient item is we put the sentient item in one of those slightly aligning, but slightly, you know, working against the player. And maybe the weapon wins in this scenario. Maybe the weapon influences the player character to change one of their values, to change some of their morals and what they hold dear. Or maybe the player shows the item a better way of thinking. But either way, you've got character change built into that system. Yeah, and if you go back not too far, to our episode about morality there's a lot of really cool ideas there but i just think it's it's awesome how there can be good arguments on both sides about the values that's what's really fun about this and that shift is slow and that shift happens when the value actually makes an effect in the world yeah to give you an example for instance maybe the character's a paladin who has a strong sense of justice and they share this idea of justice the magical hammer, the magical war hammer that the player characters found also believes in justice, but it believes in uh, kind of divine justice, revenge justice. It needs to see that the evildoers are punished. And this is going to cause that paladin who's, you know, kind of a lawful good uh, paladin who has their own set of morals or maybe tenets that they live by. And this is exactly where we can have some fun with this. Does the weapon influence the paladin in seeking out and meeting out justice at the end of a hammer? Or does the paladin do what's right and arrest them and take them to be judged in front of, you know, whatever, their right. panel of judges? <laughs> I don't know. What does, a pa <laughs> what does a paladin actually do once they, I guess they just smash, huh? Well, it Typically, yeah. Uh, paladins <laughs> paladins are the judge, jury, and executioners of D&D, &D, right? Now we need to make a Judge Dread paladin. Yep, absolutely. I mean, Judge Dread is absolutely a paladin. 100%. Anyways, moving on. Finally, step five, we got to pay off this relationship in the end. 
And the problem that this is solving is that one where you've got it all prepped and planned, but the player just says, what can I do with this? What's the ability, please? Yeah. Give me the ability. I don't really care about the uh, sentience. Well, exactly. And it's the problem of, okay, so this thing has some sentience, but we're going to have some interesting conversations, I guess. But what is the end goal of developing that relationship? Why would I keep coming back and asking what it thinks? Unless, of course, it has an end goal. Right. And to oversimplify what we're going to talk about here, all you really need to do is give it a goal that it asks for the character's help with, and then let it promise a reward to that character for helping it. I'm going to unlock some new abilities as soon as you help me kill Grandpa McLitch. Yeah, it's that simple. I'm keeping them hidden inside my hilt. <laughs> Where do you store extra abilities? <laughs> as soon as Grandpa McLitch's blood touches me, it makes me extra deadly. Ooh, I like that. The sharpening sword that is sharpened by the blood of its enemy. Exactly. But going back to what you were just talking about with all the conflicting values, there's a lot you can play with here as far as that goal is concerned. Its goal could conflict with the values of its wielder, and that's what brings about that character journey you were talking about. Of course, the easiest thing you can do is give it a goal that aligns with the character's goal. Then you're not derailing any campaign stuff you got going on. Well, exactly. That's what we were talking about earlier. But what if you even gave it a goal that was somewhat evil and it was promising to unlock more powers if you help it accomplish that goal but going back to the character arcs, you change the weapon's mind through the, showing it the power of friendship and the power of forgiveness. We're not gonna, we're not gonna pursue that goal. Cool, uh, you've changed my mind, and now I'm going to unlock my new abilities. Yeah. So it always has this like definite, resolved conflict kind of thing, and that doesn't mean that you can't make more in the future. You can have really deep relationships with a magic item that you just whipped into a game. Yeah. And I know I've said this, but I just want to hammer it home. Making the results clear is so beneficial here. Gives the party something to work towards. Gives that character the promise. It's it's basically the equivalent of saying, this is what you're getting on your next level up. It's like, okay, I'm working towards this. This is going to be great when I unlock it. I think you've got a real point there is that I, as a DM, will often think to obfuscate things or details because I want them to be a big, fat surprise down the road, and I want to shock my players. But then we never get to pay any of that off because I kept it so secret. Yeah. So we can just talk to our players about what they want their character arc to be and build a weapon to help them do that. And to give them some wicked ability that they're... I'm going to be looking forward to for the entire campaign. So the point is, talk to your players? Uh-huh. All right. Stop being so secretive, <laughs> dummy. All right, I'll try. <laughs> Jesus. Anyways, we hope that was helpful. We hope you got some ideas for sentient items, and we hope that you take those ideas and you bring them to our Discord, where you can share some of the magic items that you created or any wins that you found when you dropped a cool as fuck sentient item on your characters and they all went holy shit this is good stuff we want to hear about that stories in either youtube comments or on our discord come and join us 
And with that, I'm going to take us to the Temple of Inspired Hands, where we're going to talk about something that's coming out that's going to add goblins and ghoulies and nasties and killings and stabbings and all kinds of good <laughs> monster shit to your next game. All right. This is the Temple of Inspired Hands, where amazing products and revolutionary ideas are brought to light. All right, so this month seems to be the month of monsters, the monster month. Because if you've been living under a rock, you may not have heard that MCDM is releasing Flea Mortals, which is their monster book, which is really, really exciting because not only are they introducing a ton of new monsters, they're also rehashing old kind of tired kind of uh, groany monsters that were included in the monster manual. Yeah, it's going to have a ton of content. It's going to be really good. And I mean, if Matt Colville's in charge, like, you know, that shit's good. <laughs> we know from personal experience that, you know, the stuff that they create is very well tested, really, really brilliant work. And it shows because their Kickstarter at like 15 days in has doubled their like $73,000 goal. Like it's it's up there. It's going gangbusters. So I definitely want to get in on that one. But there's something else that I'm very excited about too in the world of monsters this month that has a Kickstarter that's launching on April 19th. This one's very exciting because it deals with one of my challenges with homebrew monster books. And that is that I can't find any goddamn minis. Yeah, and oftentimes not even art. Well, exactly. Like, how many times do you go on to, say, D&D Beyond, and you're like, I'm going to find a monster that's really going to mess with people. They're not going to see this one coming or know any of its stats. And then you go on there, you find something awesome, and then you got to try and go and you got to pair it with some art that you find off of somebody's art station through ridiculous <laughs> amounts of Google searching. And then you go, that's super cool. I love it. Now let's go through my mini collection and see what can stand in for this super <laughs> horrific picture that I found, but not a mini. Now that, now I got to drop in a giant toad and people are going to be like, that thing doesn't look at all like the hell demon <laughs> that you just described. Yeah, yeah, I know. Disclaimer, it doesn't have warts. It's got these big, scary appendages. Just imagine <laughs> Just it. Just imagine it. We're playing imagination, <laughs> but then we throw minis on the table. This solves your problems, Travis. But what we're talking about here is a product called Beasts of the Dissonance from Grinning God. Now, if those words don't inspire some dark fantasy <laughs> in you, right? I don't know what will. Yeah. So it's an upcoming Kickstarter, April 19th. It's going to give you 40 core monsters, an all-new class that actually summons those monsters, five subclasses. It's going to have 5th edition stats included with it for all of the monsters. It's going to have really rich lore. It's going to have that art I was talking about, and it's going to come with 15 matching STLs that are going to allow you to 3D print these mamajamas. Or send them off to someone else to 3D print them for you even if you don't have one. So, like, it's got a lot. I'm really kind of interested in this class, which is, like, basically a summoner class for these horrific monsters. 
Yeah, they're called leashers, and they trade their blood energy for hideous abominations that do their bidding. Yep, that's some dark fantasy shit. Definitely delivering on that promise. Right, so that's the first thing I love about it. The theme and kind of some of the story involved. We're talking dark fantasy horror, which if you've been listening to the podcast, you know Travis and I love. We love running horror adventures with all of the tension building and all of the gross details you can throw at your party. And this will come with a ton of lore that you can put into your own world, but it comes from the rich world that Grin and God has developed. So these monsters specifically are coming from an afterlife that's full of these nasty beasts. It's it's really quite cool, the, the kind of lore that's been put into this. But, you know, like you said, you don't have to use it. You can just use s- some of the plethora of stat blocks and the art. Let's talk about the art. It is unique. It's really hyper detailed. Uh, it's dripping with like a vibes. It's 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 vibing over there. <laughs> the next thing that really vibed with me about it is the monster categories it has. And it's one of those features I didn't really know I wanted until I saw it. So in the book, all of the monsters are going to be broken down into more eloquent versions of Stealth, evasion, defense, offense, and unique. Which is a way better way of organizing instead of like alphabetical. Like you could still use alphabetical within those categories, but I want like, yeah, I want either them organized by a challenge rating or something. Something more than here's a grab bag full of monsters. (laughs) Here's the yank egg. That's the first thing you need to know. (laughs) But yeah, like my head goes to designing challenges that are appropriate for the party. Yeah. And when you want to have three monsters, all of a sudden you're doing it in an intentional way with a defensive and offensive and something crazy. Yeah. Or you really just want to brutalize the players and you need to withstand a ton of damage. So we're just going to go to the defensive category and put a couple in there and then like you said throw maybe one offensive in there and now all of a sudden the combat encounter is a lot more dynamic it's going to be a lot more challenging to the players and i thought i'm with you on that one i thought that one was really well thought out and by the way in their lore these are called the ilk these five categories and it's the five subclasses of that class as well so you can kind of specialize in either stealth or evasion or defense, so on. Which is, yeah, already super cool. And we got to have a sneak peek at some of these monsters. And the stat blocks that we got to see, something I thought was really cool is that the unique abilities that they create for these monsters, they don't just give it more damage. They give it the ability to create tension and to actually do a little bit of storytelling from the abilities in that stat block. And give the players a lot more to role play off of. Yeah, absolutely. I That one came across for me as well. What I love the most, though, is that it comes with 3D models. <laughs> I really hope that this becomes more standard practice when releasing monster books. Because, like I say, I like me some minis. Even though we mostly play online, I still like my minis. And I like painting them. And so the fact that these come with stuff that I can paint, like I, I do really appreciate the regular Wizards of the Coast monster manual 
because now that they've got uh, the Icons of the Realm series and all of the mini series, I can go into my local game store and get exactly the monster that I want to throw at my party, either pre-painted or unpainted. But that really, that option does not exist for any other homebrew monster. And just the fact that these do, and I can say, you know what? That really cool sea serpent thing with a crest on its head, it looks dangerous, it looks badass, it has some of the coolest art. I'm never going to find something equivalent to that. But now I can just 3D print it. Yeah, that easy. I'm pretty sure, Travis, when you learned about this, you kind of let out a full body tension release that you've been carrying since you were 12. <laughs> of, oh, thank <laughs> God, now I have minis. Yeah, Travis needs more minis. Yeah. So like we say, look for this on Kickstarter. It's going to be launching April 19th, uh, and it's called Beasts of the Dissonance. So just search that on Kickstarter. Finally, finally, we're ahead of the game when it comes to <laughs> Kickstarters. I feel like we're always telling you that there's a new Kickstarter that happened last month. and <laughs> Maybe you can wait six months until it's done. So I apologize for that. But finally, yeah, like we're ahead of the game. So check it out. It's coming out soon. Give it some love. Because it absolutely deserves it. And speaking of deserving of love, our wonderful patrons, of which we have a new one. Thank you very much for your joining us. DM Thunderbum. <laughs> yes, I hope everyone appreciates your name as much as we do. Also, thank you to Marley R. Gar the Pirate. Time Warp. Dangerous Marmalade. Zach G. No, ma'am. Michelle T. Alan E. Felix R. Chris F. The Senate. Lucas D. Lila G. The GM Tim. Nevermore. Thomas W. Tyler G. Ty N. Heavy Arms. Eric R. Aldrost. Leprechaun. And Will HP. Thank you very much for the support on another episode. We hope you enjoy it. We do this for you, for your acceptance and love <laughs> approval approval please please like it please like this episode without you we're nothing <laughs> we're just a couple of assholes in a room talking into mics thank you also to tabletop audio for the sound effects you heard in this episode you can join that list of greats in our discord full of other players lots of dms lots of advice going around come and get some you can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. And if and your grandpa's a lich, kill him. Kill him.